welcome to Cybersecurity Unplugged, the cyber theory podcast where we explore issues that matter in the world of cybersecurity. Good day, everyone. I'm Steve King, the Managing Director here at Cyber Theory, and today's episode is going to focus on a different way to approach cybersecurity defense. Joining me today is Joe Head, the co-founder and CTO of Intrusion, a cybersecurity company that approaches cyber defense from the inside out, leveraging real-time AI to kill cyber attacks before they become breaches. And we're going to talk about that with Joe. Prior to co-founding Intrusion, Joe worked in a product management and marketing engineering roles for Honeywell Optoelectronics and earned his bachelor's degree in electrical engineering from Texas A&M University. So welcome, Joe. I'm glad you could join me today. Thanks, Steve. So let's start with email. The industry has taught us to, you know, not open attachments and not to fall for email spear phishing attacks. Intrusion's inside-out approach, I think, assumes that I'm already infected. Can you explain that difference in terms of human behavior and security? Sure. It's always drove me a little crazy when I go to a seminar and they tell me that I should train all my employees not to open their email. And it's hard to know good from bad, and that's where the spearfishers live, is how do they get you to open a thing by having it come from a close friend and be believable. And, you know, all the tests kind of show that with mixed results in terms of how much, uh, how, how trainable are people in general. But what we're finding now is there's just a whole host of things that you don't have to open. You know, there's source links and web pages that you don't have to click on anything. If you go there, they run, you know, automatically. And I think the statistics are sort of showing that a huge amount of the previously done spearfishing world has moved to paid advertisements. You know, so we know that on a given day, if I just go to Google News and start reading articles, I'm going to see 11.5 to 12% of the source links on the news pages I visit are going to take me to malicious, you know, known infectious websites. I think it's really important to, to go the direction we have done, which is as if you've got your platform already infected when you bought it, we need to be focused on the inside out, you know, assume you're already hooked and you've got a call home to Papa going on that the adversary then rides in and SSH is in over an outbound connection that your machine maintains. So regardless of how it got there, we think we need to mitigate it in real time, whether it comes from spear phishing or advertisements or, or pre-infections. So the idea is don't blame the victim for activities they do. Just just shelter them from whatever it is that, that may come their way. Yeah, well, that's a yeah, an interesting approach, certainly. And the downside of that is that I think all of us need to up our game as, in as much as we now live in a completely digital world. It seems like the responsibility is on, back on the individual user to um, make sure they understand the environment in which they operate. A big topic these days and, and also supported by the exhort on uh, cyber from the president is zero trust. I also know you have a view about how to implement zero trust. How does your product shield satisfy the principles of zero trust in a way that makes it both affordable and effective? Sure. I mean, our company and, and myself have been big proponents of the logic of zero trust for a long time. The uh, complication comes in when you decide that you want to implement it. It gets to be very expensive and very tedious. We have a massive database that we've 
maintains, uh, we started the work in 1993 to build a thorough inventory of the internet that we call TraceCop. And so from that history, we've got a, a good head start on understanding the subtle relationships between everybody and everything on the, on the internet. And so we've, we've started building a reputational history database so that we know which domains are owned by the same criminal that owns a well-publicized, you know, spear phishing, spamming, port scanning, exploit, Dropbox, you know, name it. So we've started out with just approaching the problem from a massive database standpoint. And so we've got 60 to 80 uh, trillion quads of history. So we can understand, you know, what is this machine or this host name? What's its whole history? What language topic? What's its history of maliciousness? So we've gone at it from an approach of let's use massive data to understand reputation and inheritance of bad reputation. And so we've um, approached the problem of zero trust by saying, let me fully understand how data centers, it's on web pages, all HREFs, what is the JavaScript call from a DNS perspective and a hard IP call perspective, and basically assign trust based on all of those. And so we've done that in a way that on our product is done in the background and takes its action in real time. So the neat thing there is you inherit a massive amount of work on zero trust that keeps you safe and then doesn't increase the load on your staff. Yeah, that's a cool way to, to go about it. I think that the metrics I've seen are like 95% of uh, today's compromises are either zero days or, or malware-free attacks, meaning that traditional signature or behavioral defenses only work with, with 5% of these. Warren Buffett says the cybercrime is more of a threat to business today than nuclear weapons, and I think he's referring to IP versus ransomware. Why do you why do you think he has that view? I mean, he's dead on. He owns lots of businesses and he sees the threats, you know. And in the context of his quote, it was hard to tell whether he was just referring to intellectual property theft or if he was just talking about ransomware. And we know from a ransomware perspective, FBI says sixty percent of the companies that are hit by ransomware are completely out of business within six months and just don't come back. I like to think of intellectual property theft versus ransomware as sort of a fast death versus a slow death. You know, you sort of look at ransomware as sort of Ebola. It kills you really quick and there's not much you can do about it if you don't have an offline backup to restore your world from. But intellectual property theft is more, is more of a silent killer. You, you work for years to come out with a new product, and before you ship it, it's already shipped from China as a direct clone from them stealing your intellectual property and your, your plans and your manufacturing techniques and your sources and all that sort of stuff. So either way, it, it's fatal to businesses. The Probably the bad thing right now from a society behavior mod perspective is the slow theft of intellectual property is a silent killer. You're not really sure why you went bankrupt. You just you just did. Those are motivations that I think Buffett was was talking about. The other thing you mentioned, which is the known signature versus zero day versus malware free. What we're finding in our uh, installations in the field is that if you look at the total number of alerts that are generated by legacy IDS, IPS, firewalls, and the rest, if a company was seeing fifty thousand alerts from all the stuff they had before, 
we're typically seeing and stopping about 2 million. And so our ratio is about the 20 to one to represent the 5% that the industry pundits are saying, which leaves 95% is either malware free or zero days. And so the current stats show zero days are about 61% of the successful breaches and malware free is 34%. So everybody knows zero day. It's a, a new exploit that hadn't been published before and Therefore, signature-based defenses don't work. Malware-free is an interesting category, and it basically includes backdoors installed on your hardware when it was manufactured or simple backdoor side doors into your VPN or, or other accesses for which no malware had to be introduced. So by us going with our inside-out approach, we're basically saying, your machine is making these calls to, to hinky places. Uh, let's go ahead and stop those. From that reason, we were able to stop the the Microsoft mail breach, the uh, solar winds, as well as a lot of the more recent ones. So, so far, we've been batting a thousand on uh, stopping unpublished new breaches. And that's simply because we have this embarrassment of riches in terms of inventory of the internet and have declared in advance that here are 5.1 billion things that you should stay away from or you know 5.1 billion things that are safe and 3.4 billion that are not safe and then we uh, add ai on top of that yeah well, the ip theft has been going on for a long time it's surprising to me that we haven't either awoken to that threat below these many years or have chosen not to do anything about it or don't know what to do about it you and i spoke earlier this month, and you said that both and big reputation references lists were essential to winning the war on cybercrime, something about, you know, eight and a half million row lists and AI. Tell our listeners how your products, Trace, Cop, and Shield, work together to help win this war. Sure. So back in 93, I caught one of the first large breaches and the problem back then is it didn't have an inventory of the internet. So I saw a breach happen and I saw the exfiltration of secrets from one of the big auto firms to a CompuServe Dropbox, which they then picked up and then went to their new employer with all the purchasing contracts from their previous employer. But back then there was no inventory of the internet. So I had to go grab through a bunch of, you know, TARGZ files from the old ARPA repositories to find out who owned which block of IPs. So what we found is essential to understanding it is that this isn't a game of shortcuts. You can't use generalizations to find a one-of-a-kind new thing without understanding everything that's come before. So on the 8.5 billion list, as I was saying a minute ago, we've got a massive allow list of 5.1 billion things that we view as safe. And then we likewise have a 3.4 billion list of IP addresses that are historically unsafe. But if you just go with allow list and block list, those are static and cause you to lose again. So what we found very essential is we take our massive amounts of historical reputation, you know, both static and dynamic activity to train our AI. What we practically see is you can be communicating with a site that's been good forever and it's on everybody's allow list, but behavior changes. So a, a big trick the Russians do is they'll take over a mom and pop website 
and then use that as exfil and command and control for a new set of breaches. And so they're basically communicating through a hacked website. And so we use the AI to look real time at behavior and then realize that we need to flip the polarity of what was historically good is now turned evil two minutes ago or, or one packet ago. And that has to be done in real time by AI or you just or you just can't win the war. Yeah, but how do you determine that if your IP address is on an allow list? You know, I mean, how, how do you what behaviors are you looking for that are indicators of a of a switch like that? It's a number of things. And I would say that the tricks number in the thousands in terms of behavioral analytics to know when something has changed from benign to, to bad. During the plague, I, I sat and wrote patents for months. And so we've got about 190 pages of new patents that cover how we do it. In essence, it's things like, you know, I've got DNS call homes out of my machine that somebody's SSHing in over the DNS outbound and it's behavioral changes to be able to tell, hey, this appears to be DNS outbound, but it's really SSH inbound where I'm using the DNS answers as the commands and the DNS questions as the responses. And so we've trained our AI to recognize, if you would, polar reversals in the direction of a flow or you know, the client server versus uh, remote control you know, so you see a lot of that in the SIP voice world where you have Stun that does outbound call homes to allow an inbound ring to, to, get, to reach you through a NAT. And so we've gone through and looked in fairly excruciating detail about changes in behavior that are actually easy for AI to spot. That's been a big change over the last five years is things that you used to try to do in, in SQL on Hadoop are now done with AI to much greater effectiveness and in real time. Yeah, so that ability to to have those algorithms working in in real time is the is really the differential between your ability to recognize behavioral change or anomalistic behavior and not. Yes. Is, is that right? Yes, correct. Okay. So what's the number? The average company gets, I don't know, what, 11,000 or something security alerts per day, which is, you know, maxing out even companies with large SOC or, you know, security analyst teams. You have told me that Shield can stop attacks in real time, of course, and then free those folks up for more strategic tasks, which is great. But what are your false positive and false negative rates? And, and how can you accomplish this when when others can't. Are you the only company in the world that is doing what you do with real-time AI? I think so. Um, But anytime you make a claim that you're the only company, it's sort of like, you know, you can't buy a hammer without saying they use blockchain in the production of it. And, you know, AI and blockchain and all those things become buzzwords in the industry. But from a perspective of how well are we doing it, there's a number of folks that, that use AI to sort through their alerts. And the best of those claim about a 30% false positive rate. We actually have a documented 0.001 false positive rate. So we're at five nines in terms of accuracy currently, which means that we falsely stop one out of 100,000 callouts. And so we have put the provision in our product to where any user can override our AI when they try to get to a Typically, when we install Shield at a customer, there'll be one or two domain names that they use internal to their company 
to do payroll, to do IRS withholding, to do vacation planning. And it'll be a website that we've never heard of before that we couldn't reach from outside their company. So we'll assign it zero trust. And so from those company specific things, we will we will shun them because we have no reason to trust them. So that when we measure those overrides done by our customers, it's currently measuring 0.001% false positive. We expect to add two more nines to that. So we're at five nines now, and we expect to get two more nines this year. In terms of the false negative rate, that's a strange one in that we, like I said before, when you look at the 5% of successful attacks have known signatures or known behaviors and 95 don't, we're typically stopping 20 times as many things as our customers previously got alerts. So our false negative rate, I'm not sure how you calculate the upside down. So I'd say the competition has a 95% false negative rate where we have close to 100% accuracy in terms of shunning things. I mean, nobody's perfect, but so far we've been a you know 100% on stopping new undocumented. On the how can you accomplish this when others can't? I think because we've focused on building TraceCop since 1993, and it's the world's largest inventory of the internet, and we update it every 15 minutes, gives us you know if you've worked in the AI field, your AI is only good as your labeled tagged training set. And we have by far the largest inventory of the internet and the largest, you know, passively learned behavioral analytics store. Put those two together, and we had an amazing training set for setting up our AI. Plus, we have a, a massive staff of, of folks that have worked cyber defenses and offensive studies for decades. Yeah. Every, you know, a lot of cybersecurity companies make that claim as well. And and you know we regularly hear about the crowds, the crowd strikes, and fire eyes, and and pings, and octas in the world. But I've never heard about Shield or or you guys. And if these claims that we're making are true, how come the world doesn't know about you guys? How come you're not in the conversation among the top twenty cybersecurity vendors who are trying to solve the, the great problem here? I think it's a matter of newness. So we we were in uh, stealth mode on on beta all of uh, 2020, and we uh, started you know publicly announcing shipping Shield in January. So I think we're uh, awareness has taken off as awareness does slow at first and then ramps rapidly. The best answer though is I think just like the old joke, you know you were, you were promised a date with a supermodel and you and you get a pig with a skirt on. You know, so all brand new things that sound radically better and radically different turn out to more often disappoint than not. So I think when you come out with something that's just radically better, there's a, I don't believe you until I see it. And so that's the reason we offer, you know, free evals, you know, so plugging this in for five minutes, even in port mirror monitor mode, we'll show you all the things that you never saw before. And we'll show you 20 times as many things as you ever thought about worrying about. And we've already stopped them in real time. So we're, we're seeing some fairly rapid growth and, and fairly radical changes in, a, in opinion when folks go from, I don't believe you, to dang, <laughs> you can't take that with you. I'm leaving it. 
what I need to do to, to leave it plugged in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this, uh, you know, kind of positive and negative challenge you have as a early stage company. And I say early stage, meaning to market, not, not in your, in your existence where, you know, you've got to pick somebody, Darktrace, for example, who just, you know, recently went public for a gazillion, bazillion dollars and they made their bones, uh, basically on, uh, network threat detection with a lot of, as you characterized it, AI, quote unquote, thrown in. So, you know, they have this amazing sort of market credibility and you come in and say, yeah, that's loaded with problems that, you know, it's got all of these, it includes uh, whatever threats you've had in the landscape when it does its baseline, it's got the wrong approach, it does deductive reasoning or a Bayesian reasoning versus abductive. And our product does all of these fabulous things. And in five minutes, you'll see, so we turn this on for you, Mr. Buyer, that uh, this is like the most amazing thing you've ever seen. That's really hard to get your, wrap your mind around as a buyer. How many customers do you have now, if you can tell us that? And what industries have you been particularly successful in? Sure. I mean, uh, being a public company ourselves, we got to talk about customers during the quarterly numbers release and today is not such of a day, but we found um, the growth has been in lots of industries. Manufacturing has had an early lead as has education, surprisingly. We've also had a number of companies that have just gotten hit by ransomware, a number of riot folks and others that that just either refused to pay to ransom or, or did. And what we find in plugging into those is when they think they're clean, they're still calling home to Russian man-in-the-middle control sites. So plugging them in stops a, a second a second ransom event. So it's I guess it's all over, and we're seeing pretty good growth internationally. There's a number of countries that are actually in worse shape than the U.S. I guess one one element that I think is good to talk about is if you just look at the industry, most of the products are focused outside in. And if you've got call homes going on, there's hardly any product that will show you that. And so there's this feeling amongst IT professionals that they've, they've done things better than others. And the reason they haven't gotten hit is because they're more competent than others. But, but you know, there's a new compromise every 37 seconds in the U.S., and so we're we're really going into a battle without the proper instrumentation. And so one of the things that, that we've had from some of our partners or resale partners around the world is they plug our product into their own network for demo. And then they realized that they were in much worse shape than they could possibly imagine. And so I like to tell people, you know, when Rentkin invented the x-ray, it didn't make all the doctors incompetent the day before and that they couldn't see breaks in bones. They just had a new tool that made visible what has been previously invisible. And so, yes, we are doing real-time response and fixing things so you don't have to fix them yourself and takes the human out of the response time loop. But it also gathers a bunch of data that lets you proactively look at the health of your network and where your where's your data flowing to so you can make some uh, more eyes wide open decisions about in the range of allowable, what seems strange. And so that's what I was talking about, freeing up your employees to do more proactive things. 
Yeah, well, I mean, based upon what you've just described here, you, this is like the holy grail, and you know, you probably don't need a lot of those outside-in solutions if this is if this is operating as you describe it in uh, in an environment. It, it seems to me that your product would be a natural sort of remedy for <laughs> a national program on like how do you you know what's the best security posture in terms of technology? Well, if you started with with you guys, you you know you could uh, you wouldn't have to go very far with the outside in kind of technologies. I'm conscious of the time here, Joe. What has been your approach to marketing the product and making sure that folks are aware that there you you really are offering a kind of a night and day alternative approach to traditional cybersecurity defense models? Sure, we've hired a, a large team of folks, and we're focusing heavily on the channel. My partner, Jack Blunt, was uh, at Novell in the early days when they actually created the channel that now the, the world uses. So our goal is to eradicate cybercrime from, from the world. We've talked about the inside out, but we're not ignoring the outside in either. So our product actually looks at every field in every packet and doesn't do any sampling. So we're looking for all the ways that covert signaling can be occurring, both from a remote control standpoint from a exfiltration standpoint. We've tried to take a higher level approach and we went to Gartner, they, they told us what a product like this would be worth and we priced it at, at maybe 30% of what they thought the market price should be because we're, we're really annoyed at how horribly we're getting whooped by international adversaries as a country. And we wanted to basically lower the, the threshold for doing it excellently and then lower the price barrier so everybody could do it. Because I, you know, I really like our country and want it to continue to exist. And though we're doing it right now, we're we're losing the war on cybercrime horribly. And we believe that changing approach is is radically important to the country and to the survival of, of businesses and government organizations. Yeah, indeed. And I, I love it too. So <laughs> I'm uh, rooting for you guys for sure. And Jack has an amazing background also. Um yeah, you 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 were at this from kind of the get go, weren't you? Uh, with correct us, co-founder of the company in in '83, who uh, just a couple years out of college for me, and been at cybersecurity for a long time. But you know, we're at the point now where everybody's tried shortcuts, and there just really aren't any shortcuts. You got to have massive data, massive training sets, and then have machines that can run real time with bigger allow and block list than, than products do. So we had to do a lot of this from scratch. There was just no way to do it unless you build it yourself. So, and you were part of that architectural design. Uh, I mean, that was kind of your, your baby. Yes. Huh. That's uh, it's truly amazing. So gosh, I, you know, congratulations, Joe. It's uh, I'm just amazed at the product. I, I rarely, we rarely put product companies on this podcast. It's not the intent here to, proselytize on a particular product, but uh, I was just so blown away by the way you guys go about it and how it makes so much sense. And I think you have a lot of patent protection, uh, as I understand it. So I wish you all the best here in the future. And and you kind of thank God you guys are doing what you're doing. Appreciate it, Steve. Sure. Appreciate the, uh, the time. Well, sure. It was my pleasure. And I want to Thank our listeners for joining us in another episode of Cyber Theories Exploration into the 
weird world of cybersecurity. And Joe, we'd love to have you back in a bit. I, I want to I want to track how you guys do. I will do everything I can to promote and assist you guys in getting the kind of visibility that that we need for you to have. Thank you, Steve. Look forward to talking some more. Terrific. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve King, signing out. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cybersecurity Unplugged. You can connect with us on LinkedIn or Facebook at Cyber Theory, or send us an email at social at cybertheory.io. For more information about the podcast, visit cybertheory.io forward slash podcast. Until next week, thanks again.